Hey everyone, Jake here. This episode is a little bit different. Uh, it is an interview episode that we're super excited to show you guys. Um, the audio quality is obviously not as good since we had to record via Skype, um, but I think you guys will really enjoy the conversation we have with Matt Corley. We cover a bunch of topics uh, ranging from how to infuse horror into your games, game design in general, and you know even game publishing. Um, it's an awesome conversation, and we're excited for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, here is our interview with Matt Corley. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This time we're interviewing the creator of Lamps Light Sanitarium, a sanity and horror supplement for 5th edition, Matt Corley. Welcome to the show, me. Matt. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, Matt. Um, I gotta know, um, what made you want to create this horror supplement? It's so interesting. Well, thank you. Um, you know what? It came about largely because I'm a very frustrated Call of Cthulhu player. And oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and that no one else will play um, with me. So I I have a, a group of, of friends that I've been doing D&D with for a couple years here. And we had a pretty dark, we'll say evil, campaign. Um, we're all adults. It's worked well. A lot of those campaigns devolved pretty poorly, but this one was really fun. And as it kind of kept going and going, I wanted them to get some Cthulhu stuff. We played one game of Cthulhu. They liked it. We played a second game and like, okay, we're done now. And so I wanted to start having a, bringing some of the aspects of that into D&D. And I, I love D&D. I've been playing D&D since 1983. Wow. Uh, so just, just a little while. And, <laughs> but that said, it's, it's, it's a very, very different experience than Cthulhu. So the big thing I want to do is one, introduce them to long-term consequences that you can't fix with an eight hour rest. I mean, at the oh, end of the day, that's that's five E in a nutshell. Preach, Matt. <laughs> Which, and again, I love five E. I really do. I mean, I, I have probably a thousand pages of content coming out for it this year, but we can do some other fun stuff to it um, to make it again a little bit more interesting. And so that's kind of where Lampslight came from. Is we were going to end our campaign with them being admitted to an asylum, an asylum, and so. I had this outline in probably, I don't know, a thousand pages or so sitting on my hard drive for a couple of years. I started writing it in 2017, I think, and talked to some folks over at Cobalt about maybe doing it as a short web series. One of them actually, one of the intros came up and was on the web page for about two hours. Um, and then Wolfgang wanted to kind of push it somewhere else because it's very Victorian and Cobalt, and Midgard's not. So, yeah. um, we kind of gave it back and I said, you know what, I'm just going to keep messing around with it in my free time. And a friend of mine, Toby over at Dark Realm Maps, knows that I've been doing it. And he finally just kind of egged me on until I started to do the Kickstarter. And that's where it came out. So, I mean, it really, I almost wrote the entire thing because I had these sanity rules that I wanted to make and I needed mm -hmm. to find something to use them in. So mm -hmm. I built an asylum. And as art went out and everything happened, it became more and more clear that I wanted it to be Gothic and Victorian. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where it happened. You know, again, I think the, the most one of the fun, most fun things that we could do is give a player a choice that has a consequence for more than an hour or more uh -huh. than five minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and we actually had PTSD in that game that I had. Um, one of the, well, there's a couple of the players 
player characters in Lampslight, one especially, who's actually an NPC in the game because, you know, we roll characters. My John, my friend John did it, and um, we rolled. He rolled fantastic. He rolled in front of me. I saw it. No cheating. And he had this halfling bard that had, I mean, average average ability scores like a fourteen. It was ridiculous. Oh, like he had anything less than a ten. So at fourth <laughs> level, he had a twenty and something, you know, and it was crazy. And yet, he almost he was making death saves in every single game we ever played with. Played always. He had the worst luck. I mean, he was <laughs> a halfling with bad luck. I, I know that's the best part about it is that, yo, he's even getting to reroll ones, but so he just, he get a two. I mean, it was just, <laughs> simple. and so I'll have to shoot you guys a copy later. But one of the things I did was again, so he had PTSD. And so depending on how we were feeling that day, I would say, well, you're terrified. So you need to make a charisma save to even be willing to interact or to do this. Oh, that's so good. So just kind of stuff like that. And mm -hmm. the supplement itself, the the insanity rules are already out there for everybody. If I haven't given them to you, you guys personally, but I'm sorry, I'll have to shoot them to you soon. Um, I, I know I have them. Oh, yeah, you do? Have. Good. Yeah, oh, yeah. so you can see that there's kind of two ways. There's like the disorder, which is a narrative. It's, it's very role-playing. So you can choose to have crunch or not, or the effect itself, which is the crunch. So, you know, the patient or the plate patient. I'm a pharmacist. So I'm, gonna say, <laughs> I'm also a pharmacist, so I'm going to say patient. Um, not not thinking better. Um, so you know, the character has a panic attack, is overwhelmed with helplessness and hope. That's that's the disorder. That's the role playing part. The crunch is you now have a negative two penalty on your initiative check and any save for a fear a fear effect. So it all kind of matches together, and you can go as much or as little as you want. And if you forget something, it's not that big a deal. But again, I want you to remember, it's like, you know what? I ran into a horde of zombies when I was a second level, and I still hate them, even though I'm 13th now. Yeah, that affects you. That's permanent. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I think uh, you pointed it out that there's nothing that can really, that can't be solved with a long rest or a short rest even yes. in 5th edition because there's there aren't any serious built-in mechanics that last longer than you know a day for yeah. your characters right exactly yeah so it, it's again i i took a lot of stuff from you know i kind of skipped over all of pathfinder and fourth edition from life so i kind of i have a different perspective because for me we went basically from first second edition to fifth oh, and wow. so so i kind of remember all that stuff and think it's still there and then yeah. realize and realize it's not and my players are like oh that's the most weird thing ever it's like oh yeah, I just made it up. Wow. Uh, okay. So, 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 take us back to. You said you started in 1983. So, take us back to. Uh, just explain to us how did you come across role playing games um, and yeah. how did you get into the hobby? So, yeah, um, I think it was in second grade, and my older brother came in with a red box set. Oh, basics, basic classic. red box set. Yep. And Nate sat it down, read it a little bit. I of course told him I had to read it because I was his little brother. And <laughs> I liked it more than he did. I don't know that he ever really ended up playing. And so we played it, goofed off with it some. Um, you know, this was the 80s and the 90s, too. So basically, you know, you only kind of played when you found somebody who you felt comfortable with asking them that they yeah. would play. Um, <laughs> you're like, I'm pretty sure that, you know, that my friend won't run away if I say, let's go play D&D. &D. <laughs> <laughs> and so I played that. And that's how it is. So I played very intermittently, but I kept buying the books and reading them and just absorbing them. And 
I, you know, I think it made a huge difference. Like, I mean, it, D&D taught me math. I mean, it really did. Basic math and then history and mythology and even literature to a point in some cases. And, you know, we going up forward and, you know, in the 90s, when I graduated high school, um, I had a handful of friends that we played. And somebody even, oddly enough, showed me a Call of Cthulhu book. And I was like, that's the the dumbest book I've ever seen. Let's play. (laughs) Let's I said, you know what, let's play Riffs. Riffs was the Palladium science fiction one that's so, like, gonzo and crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we played that. And we actually played a little bit of second edition. That would have been advanced D&D then. So, yeah, I remember all the AD&D books were the ones that I had mostly. And went to college, finished school, got married, all that stuff, and kind of fell away. For every once in a while, I'd be at a Barnes & Noble with, like, you know, by myself. And i just end up buying a set of books and catch up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about five, I guess, yeah, five years ago, I got divorced. And one of the things I kind of did was kind of went back and just said, like, you know, I'm just gonna do what I enjoy doing. And I don't really care at this point <laughs> and, and started doing things that I had. Now, and a friend of mine over at my, the gym, I go to my CrossFit gym, Renee, he said the same. He's like, well, I kind of wouldn't play, I want to play magic or how about we play D and D? And I'm like, you know what? I kind of know how to play both of those. So let's do that. <laughs> and Magic's incredibly expensive and so much, oh, yeah. but so expensive. And so I'm like, all right, we can't play magic anymore because I have, I'll just spend all my money on it <laughs> and started playing D and got back into it and jumped straight into it. Um, my kids like it. I have two little girls, which I know you guys know. And I, my girlfriend is, is fantastic. She's super supportive of everything. She has no interest in playing it at all, <laughs> but thinks it's cool and fine that I do. Um, and that I ride it and, and all that stuff. So it's, it's been a, it's been a long journey. So yeah, since 83, so whatever year it is now, 2019. So it, it's been 30, 36 years, right? Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of one of those people that kind of played it a long time ago and then kind of refound it again. Mm-hmm. Man. Um, let me just digest that for a moment. <laughs> that was a great. Backstory. Yeah. That's a, that's a long, like loving history of being involved in D. you know it's just been fun you know and i I, w- I wish i could say something cooler and more interesting and like you know you're a writer you're able to make this exciting it's like but it's just it's fun and mm-hmm. at the end of the day i have my five nerd friends every other week that we potluck and we play a game and cool. we just chill out and we enjoy ourselves and we play evil characters half the time. We say we're playing good characters, but they're not. I mean, we <laughs> we loot each other's bodies. We have killed each other. We have had player versus player. All these things have happened, and we always have a great time, and we do it anyway. As busy as life happens and gets, because there are, let me think, three of us are in our 40s, two are in their 30s, and two are in their 20s. And... We all have families just about like, especially the the older me and John have kids and um, but we still do it because it's fun. I mean, at the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. fun and yep. it's it's a great time. And the rules are what they are. I have a rules law- lawyer player who I love and who's awesome. And oh, don't Josh, we all. Let's <laughs> be honest. He's made me a better writer because I'm not forgetting stuff because Josh points it out the second I do it. So it doesn't really bother <laughs> me. And he's also OK with me saying, well, that's fine, Josh. And then doing it and doing what I want anyway. Yeah, yeah. He gives me a look, but he's he's okay with it, and that's that that makes it all good. So, so um, do you have any house rules for just uh, fifth edition that that are not uh, these horror rules that are notable? Ooh, so 
I'm not sure if this is a habit. I'm going to have to think while I talk. But I roll everything in front of my players. Oh, bold. Bold. I, I, I don't, that's why we have player deaths. And not a ton. Or not player deaths. I do that all the time. I did that in my last two interviews. I don't have, I've yet to have a player death. Uh, we have I'm expecting deaths. one. <laughs> yeah, we have character deaths. Um, so we, we do do that. And so I, I roll damage also. Mm. Um, you know, I, I didn't use to cause like, oh, it saves you time. Just use the average. And I played a couple games at Gen Con a couple years ago and the, the DM rolled in front of us. It didn't slow a thing down and it was so much more fun and interesting because, you know, you roll 3d6 and it's either three or it's 18. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's never in the middle. Big difference. Yeah. It's a big difference. And it, it made things much more fun and much more interesting to me. Um, and my players like it. We roll hit dice. I'm sorry. We roll hit points and we roll ability scores usually. Ooh. Um, Old. Yeah. So I, I like it again. And I have also, I make them do it in front of me. Even, oh, I'm even, in the same boat, yeah. even my, even those friends of mine that I've been friends with for a long time, I do do it. I have them do it in front of me. Um, what are some other fun ones? Let me think. Um, yeah, if you die and come back for whatever reason or however it happens, you usually have something going on afterwards. There's usually a side effect of some court of some sort. Um, I, I wish I could think of us. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody will listen to this one of my friends and they'll tell me, "Why didn't you tell them about this?" Uh, <laughs> but we 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 don't we don't have a whole lot of weirdness um, for our games. We do allow pretty much anybody any third party content is fine, pretty much. Um, Especially if it's from a big publisher that I'm at least roughly familiar, or at least I'm I'm roughly confident does some play testing, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's yeah. So that's that's kind of our our games in a nutshell. And again, we are okay doing stuff against each other. Uh, we we let it happen because it hasn't st- it hasn't broken any friendships up yet. So that's <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I think if you have the right group, it's not going to be that big of a problem. Whereas in some groups, players can take it personally if you do things like that in the game and then they kind of take yeah. it, you know, as an attack on their person that side of the game. Oh, absolutely. The, the first time I, so my friend, Brian, who has been playing with us for a while and we needed another player. One of the players we had didn't work out. And so I, that's one thing I have actually asked two people to leave the game, my game Ooh. from my house. Ooh. Um, yeah, we don't have to get into that. Right. Um, but <laughs> I needed to come back. I needed somebody to come back. And or I needed a new guy and Brian came in and Brian is very I like Brian a lot and I didn't know him at all, though. He was a friend of a friend and I don't know that anybody at the table really knew him. And so Brian comes in and he is Brian's a third edition guy. So Brian kind of fell away for two or like about 20 years too. came back, plays Warhammer. And so he comes in and (laughs) did two things, both of which were funny and lasted the entire campaign. And I keep talking about these. So if somebody's heard this interview before this, I'm sorry, but so Brian plays a played a, like a six level wizard because that's the level we were at. And the group, my group ends up meeting. They're in a very urban kind of dark campaign and they get kind of a, they're in a kind of a fight or at least an argument with a gang. And the halfling that always dies was arguing with the gang limb <laughs> and it gets heated and a crowd gathers behind them. And behind the gang of crowd are, are basically a bunch of doxies, a bunch of you know prostitutes, because this is basically Victorian times. And one of the, the prostitutes throws a dagger at Milo. It misses because it's a level zero commoner throwing it at a six level or a whatever level bard with the dexterity of like 20 and everything else. 
Brian immediately says, I throw a fireball. Oh, no. And so this is my house rule. Sure. Roll damage. I didn't ask him. I, I, I do ask occasionally, like, are you sure? But I try not to. Um, I also That's don't, a good I, policy. I also don't tell them what would have happened if they'd done something else. And that drives them nuts sometimes. I do it occasionally, <laughs> but I usually don't say, well, you could have done this. Because I'll just save it and use it later. It saves me time um, down the road. So <laughs> Brian throws a fireball. And he killed... <laughs> Do the math. Seventeen. Seventeen. Oh, no. Basically, the eight, eight, they were crowded. So basically, it was one person per square. Threw them all. I mean, they were incinerated. Every single one of them. And that... So that was how Brian came to my campaign. That, that one action, again... Made my campaign so different because actually the the Doxies had a guild, the Harlot Guild, the Guild of Harlots. <laughs> sent them I'm, a, I'm a part of that. Yeah, they sent them a bill. <laughs> they got a bill of lading for damages, lost wages. They pissed off the police because <laughs> there are police. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, we talk about these games that are so, oh, it's so easy. You can kill a guard, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, you can. What about the actual police force? It's like, you know, mm. it's not the guard you care about. You know, we got to kind of throw some of these things in there. And so they pissed off the police that ran that did a lot of stuff. The gang, the gang never gave up. There were assassins that would come at them out of nowhere. I would get basically bored and I'd say, you know what? <laughs> I just roll three 20 sided dice and say three arrows came out of the air at you and boom and they're done. And I just that's it. All right. That was the encounter. You just got hit three times and they ended up. So, yeah, so that happened and he ended up going to jail. They all did mm. for killing 20 innocent people. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine. So we did the jail scene where they're all a long corridor and the gang says, we're going to get you. And at the corridor, Brian's character, Bellamum, gets stuck in the middle of the hallway. And we close the front door. We close the back door. Bellamum's stuck. An assassin. And I use the SRD assassin, which is pretty nasty. Came oh, up yeah. behind him and rolled two crits. Oh, no. And Brian's dead. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Brian's, Brian's character is dead because he's played three hours total. Oh, I thought Brian had died. Oh, <laughs> I, still I still haven't killed a player yet. Uh, so yeah, so Bellabum is dead, and they're and this whole time, you know, they're like, "Oh shit! I just killed the character of a guy that I've known for forty-five minutes." <laughs> um, I asked, I have an hour and a half to come to my house to play Dungeons and Dragons, and the guy that wasn't there anymore i was kind of thinking like how that person would react and that person it would not have been pretty and i i ended up taking brian to like a different room like is that okay we can figure this out it's not a big deal he's like he's like no it's funny it's like it's great don't worry about it <laughs> okay so we went back to the table and i said the guys i'm like okay here's a timer how are you going to get in that room because one of them had just learned to revivify you it's like if you can get in there you might can save him and mm. they figured it out with like i mean i think they had 12 seconds left Oh my gosh. Because I just did a timer and we just do that. And that was a great dramatic moment. Um, that was all, all done based on what my players decided they wanted to do. And it was fun. I mean, it was just really, really fun. Um, that was probably one of the, that, then the, the final boss battle we did was the, the gang kept going and finally they just said, screw it. We're taking over the gang. <laughs> and that's how the campaign ended where, you know, Bellamum was wanted for murder across the entire i mean they, they he couldn't go out in public without getting shot you know ilo has ptsd so he can't even walk without like getting terrified of shadows um you know and then a couple other people left because they were playing your characters and we had a lawful good paladin there and there that that didn't work so he left and went off to do something else and then you know the one guy took over the game 
and wow. and that's that end of the campaign. <laughs> we just started another one, or then we just moved on to the next one. Oh man, what are some of the big changes to D and D based on this time era you've set the game in? Because it sounds like you still have halflings, and um, I would assume other standard D and D races, but now you your timeline is just fast forwarded into this um, soot drenched Victorian era. <laughs> right. So, and my and my and my lack of planning. So, and I and which is funny because I'm actually I do product development for a Fortune 200 product pro, uh, company. So I should know these things. Like you know, you got to plan more than 10 minutes out, Matt. Um, <laughs> and so I did this Kickstarter. I'm like, oh, it's only going to be 120 pages. I'm doing this. Um, I've got a proof in front of me. I've got the last proof should be coming in the next couple of days, and it's 200 pages. One of the things I didn't think about was like I just do so much on the fly and don't really worry about it. Um, not many other DMs do that. And so I actually have an entire section that's called making it lamps light. I'm looking at it right now. It starts on page 10 and it goes through page 27. So it's almost 20 pages of just kind of notes on things that you can do to make this inserted in. Um, and yeah, I actually grabbed the SRD and I just went straight through the SRD and said, all right, this section of the SRD. So it's actually in the same order. You know, what's a common class in in what I think is Victorian, or at least my version of the Victorian? The common class, Rogue and Fighter, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but the very, very first thing I said, I think, is you do whatever the heck you want. I don't care. And I, I literally write that. <laughs> you have my permission to mix, match, edit, adjust, borrow, adjust some more, reskin, and just do whatever works. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's guidelines. It, I'm not going to be upset. I, I love it when people use stuff. something Like something I did well enough to adjust it to fit them that's i think that's a huge compliment so but again i did i got through classes like you know the common classes are rogues and fighters um a unique class virtually unique would be like a barbarian or a druid Mm. Uh, now that's not mean you can't do that it just means that maybe have a backstory or some sort of vague idea of why they're that way um victorian england even actually had um bartitsu which is an actual real martial art um sherlock holmes actually that the the martial art that Sherlock Holmes did was actually a real one, and it oh. was it was basically stolen from all the different Eastern Euro- uh, martial arts and even some other Eastern European ones that they could find. But martial arts have been around the entire world, some form or fashion, forever. Mm-hmm. Europe actually has catch wrestling, and Europe is amazing. I mean, it, they have a very very strong um, tradition of like grappling and martial arts. It's just different. Interesting. Yeah, no actually, yeah, the Spanish actually has some really cool ones too. They're like sword and dagger and sword and um, sword and cloak, all that stuff. So I used to be into martial arts too. As you <laughs> um, so, but there's a little bit of everything. And I said, you know, an uncommon would be a bard or a cleric, and they're less common mostly because it takes money and time to have that mm-hmm. kind of training. And so there aren't as many people that have that opportunity. But again, do whatever you want. It, it's fine. And, you know, your player characters, obviously, you're not commoners, so it's okay to be unique, and that's fine. Um, I even wrote, you know, the type of armor you wear is going to affect you somewhat at a social level. So, you know, I can't remember what I was reading. I feel like it was a book where, you know, oh, shoot, what was the name of that series? But anyway, so basically, electricity stops working, and somebody finds a suit of plate mail armor that works and fits, and they're essentially a walking tank. Mm. Oh, yeah. And... That's true. I mean, that that's completely accurate, and you will be treated as such. And mm-hmm. so maybe intimidate works better, but persuasion probably doesn't. Or, <laughs> you know, deception might not work as well. So, again, everything's always optional for me with rules, especially crunch. If you don't want it, don't do it. It's not going to hurt my feelings, I promise. I won't know anyway. 
<laughs> so that's kind of what is in like you know and uh weapons you know are you openly carrying and walk around with a long sword you know people think of these a lot of these things like yeah you know it, it's not a big deal i can do anything i want it's like well you're not always in a forest <laughs> you know you're not always in a dungeon by yourself and that's where it gets more for me i think it's more fun um and more interesting and so like you know if you walk into the at the temple with a plate armor and a long sword strapped to your back you basically have a disadvantage on your charisma rolls yeah. because they're like you came in here looking for trouble yeah yeah and we are going to do that and i i do not go by the a, a natural 20 doesn't get you everything you know you can there's still reasons Amen. to fail yeah you know, you know, somebody, yeah, I always see that. It's like, well, I, you know, the bard rolls a 20 and it's a 25 and how do you, you know, and they get whatever they, they rob you blind. It's like, nah, not necessarily. What if I'm sitting there staring at them? <laughs> you know, you can, you can roll a 20 and I'll still see you. Um, so you've got to kind of got to take that in there. Um, there are definitely going to be situations. That's more of a Cthulhu thing probably, but there are situations yeah. where it's not possible to do what you want to do. I'll let you roll it. And I'll maybe in my head put a number in there, or maybe I'll just let you roll it anyway, just so you roll it and see what the die do. And maybe the die will adjust my thinking, but it doesn't have to. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a that's not even a house rule. That's I'm pretty sure that's rules as written. But um, that's that's one of the things you do. But but anyway, back to this thing. So I mean, I have a section on making it an anachronism. So just make it weird. That's fine. You know, that's, <laughs> yes. that's, that's fun. That's easy. I can be super lazy at times. I got enough going on. I mean, I'm a single dad. I have two full-time jobs and I have hobbies. And if somebody hands me this book, I'll just sit it in there. And it doesn't matter. I mean, we're not playing Starfinder. So, but even then, whatever, that's fine. We'll have a section of the neighborhood that just looks Victorian because people are weird and that happens. <laughs> uh, we have a making it a mythos one. So I've, I work with Sandy Peterson now. And um, for Peterson Games, which is amazing. Um, another one of those things, like I never thought I would get to do that. And um, so Sandy has a book. So basically he has a Cthulhu mythos, but for fifth edition. And so I actually have a couple pages on how to kind of throw some of that stuff in there. Wow. Um, super, super easy. It, and, and I'll say this now, it, this, this book is not Call of Cthulhu fifth edition version. There's aspects of it, but it is still heroic fantasy. But it, but there's aspects to it. Um, I work with Cobalt Press, so I have a, a page on kind of throwing it into Midgard, which is Cobalt's setting. Uh -huh. uh, Don Fry, who's did a lot of help, helped me a ton, actually, um, did a section on making it Ravenloft. Wow. Which I think everybody wants in Ravenloft that plays, that's basically plays Watsy, because um, it fits. It fits incredibly well to Ravenloft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Don also did something for me with Ravnica to throw it in Ravnica because again it fits pretty well and even Eberron mm -hmm. so we took three big settings four I guess big settings that are out there and said these are some small adjustments that'll ease it in there for you and you can grab and grab you can kind of throw it wherever and there's even a making it weird Victorian one um, <laughs> so I want it to be used at the end of the day mm -hmm. So my question is, uh, there's obviously so much uh, Lovecraftian horror elements. Uh, when were you first introduced to that kind of uh, Lovecraft, Cthulian style horror? Um, and how did you pick which parts that you really wanted to insert into, into 5e? Right. So, so I'm going to get, I'm going to lose all of whatever horror points I might have. Um, I did not like horror much when I was growing up. 
Okay. <laughs> Vermilion scared the hell out of me um, <laughs> when it came out because I saw it. I saw it at a theater. Um, and Indiana Jones was the other one that came out then, where they pulled the heart out of the body. Oh yeah, Temple of Doom. Yeah, first two <laughs> PG thirteen movies there ever were. Um, yes. <laughs> and so I kind of got into it. As I read a ton, I mean, like enormous amounts of books all the time. That's all I do. I don't, I don't really watch TV. I don't even watch movies very often. I just read or work. And my books adjusted. As I got older, I kind of saw things that were more challenging and more interesting and had more consequences, had more characters. And just, you know, it was just better for me. Mm-hmm. And I found, I started gravitating a lot more towards thrillers and mysteries. And then the line between a thriller, a mystery, and horror is pretty damn then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if you take gore out. And I don't That's do true. Yeah. I don't I mean I don't have gore in here. There's some very um there's some a lot of imagery in Lampslight that's can be disturbing. Um I actually did a psychiatric rotation. I worked in a psych hospital for eight weeks as part of my student like to get my degree. And I've seen people get electrotherapy. I have mm. seen oh. I have been there and I have talked to kiddos when they got admitted to my psych ward after doing and having things done. And it's heartbreaking and it is awful, but we need to face those things and it can help us understand. And we also just, and again, in understanding these things, we can realize, you know what, it's a mental illness or it's just a situation and it's not any different than anything else. It's if we understand it a little bit and we can empathize with it, that works. And that's, again, I take gore out of it. I don't really do gore one way or the other. It doesn't really matter to me, but with thrillers, you know, scream is amazing. Oh, yeah, I love Scream. And it is, I mean, yes, there's gore there, but it's, it's more, it's more of a mystery. It's more of a thriller and a murder mystery for me. Um, but yeah, so I, I've read a fair amount of Lovecraft, of course. Um, probably not my favorite Lovecraftian author. There's his own personal things that he's got going on, which were pretty disgusting <laughs> yeah. um, and despicable. My, but, my goal is to create a genre that is named after me and then to have someone else in the future say, uh, I like uh, Jake Bartonian literature, but he's not the greatest <laughs> Jake Bartonian literature there is. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't do it well. Yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. I love that. I love that. But so, so like, but I love the mythos. I like the unknown. I like uh-huh. the you know, you're not as important as you think you are, mm-hmm. uh, and in some cases, yes, you are helpless. But with me, I tend to, especially this is a D and D supplement, and even my. COC stuff there's you can usually you can you can win it's not it's not guaranteed dying um mm-hmm. but so that's you know maybe that's a little more Rob Chambers but like uh Ruth Embress there so I I read more of the newer stuff in it by newer it can be the 70s for it I guess but you know like Ruth Embress she wrote a series where she took the side of the deep ones and they are the actual they are the protagonist and the antagonist oh. is the U.S. government and <laughs> I love this it, honestly, if anybody's listening, it may be Ruth is. I doubt it, but who knows? But <laughs> she, she's not a tabletop person. But the uh, Deep Ones are put in the concentration camps with the Japanese from World War Two, uh, two, mm-hmm. and they're with them. It isn't. It, it, I mean, it it it's literature, which is kind of the where it kind of which is, and I say that with meaning it that way. Like it is actually literature to me, and it has a very deep meaning. And you don't have to have that. I read awful stuff all the time and i love it but you know it's and like victor laval did um uh the ballad of black tom 
where he again he switched it a little bit because of the way that Lovecraft portrays you know African Americans and Asians and well basically anybody that's not a white guy. <laughs> and so Victor, that Ballad of Black Tom is an incredible novella. I mean, it is um, amazing. Um, Robert Block is great. Ramsey Campbell. So again, I read them. Is how I got to it. And I still have a ton of Lovecraft stuff because I have to research it for stuff I'm writing with Sandy or just to keep my just to make sure I'm not being too internally inconsistent. Um, but again, if I had a chance to read a mythos book, generally it's going to be something from the last few years um, with the last probably five years being some of the best ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do I do movie wise. I do have some books. I love Scream is great. Scream is probably one of my more favorite ones. And again, I admitted this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. I had not seen the thing. Oh, oh my gosh. One of my favorites. It is amazing. And it's from 83 or something like that. Um, Uh It held up great. I I mean, the side effects are are side effects. Again, pharmacists talk. Um, (laughs) The the, um, special effects are a little bit more basic, but I thought they were fantastic. I I love that book or that movie. I absolutely loved it. I've got uh, Mouth of Madness I need to watch next. Oh, yes. Yeah. So... Okay, I have a question about, I find this just fascinating with your um, background in like pharmacy um, and that like it's your career occupation and how that kind of influences um, what your work in Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games. So I'd like to ask about the the um, concept of sanity and how maybe your, your like occupation and like pharmacy and psychiatry, all that stuff like influences um how sanity works in like role-playing games, stuff like that. Right. So, I mean, first off, I'm going to kind of, you know, tip my cap. So, you know, Sandy and Cha- uh, Chaosium and Kalthku, all the folks that did that, did a very, very good job with it. Uh-huh. They really did. And so when I did it, I actually kind of thought, all right, so how did Sandy do it? Or how did Chaosium do it? And I and some of it is, there's definitely thing. I mean, you can tell that I read and I've played COC if you do it. But what I mm-hmm. tended to do was, you know, and there's, what are we on, the DSM-10? So basically there's a book, the DSM Diagnostic, I don't know what, something Wait, like they're that. they're on 10? I think it was DSM-4 when I was in school, and I think it's 10 now or is it 8? It's something like that. I have no idea. That's crazy, though. But so, yeah, there's there there are, I mean, there are medical books, obviously, that do these disorders, and I read them. And I was like, well, you know, this is the situation or this is what it looks like. And then I just kind of throw an effect on it if I want to. And, you know, it's basically, you know, and I would start off with a table that says OCD or PTSD, and then I'd kind of break it out from there. So um, I'm looking at a table right now in front of me that's going to help me out here. So like it says, the character fixates on a mundane object within the room and begins to count all instances of it. She can't do anything else until she finishes counting. So that's the disorder, which is is OCD. And the effect is the DM chooses an object in the room and that the character uses her action to count it. That's the only, the character can only take reactions while counting. This takes one D four rounds. And so it being a pharmacist too, it's like, it's, it, it can be boring. I'll be honest with you there, but it's also incredibly complex. And my job now, especially is basically making incredibly complex things as simple as possible mm-hmm. to people that aren't technical. And, and law, I mean, I work IT where I do all sorts of stuff. And so, there's a lot of that going on with D&D and with game design in general. It's just like, all right, so I'm going to make a complex situation straightforward. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have noticed that um, in your work and also in like, the you know, Call of Cthulhu, the game. Um, 
I have a history of mental illness in, in my family and in seeing like the, the sanity rules and some of this stuff, um, it doesn't immediately jump out to you. Like, you know, like a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, like, Oh, a tentacle horror goes, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah. You know, and you're kind of gleefully in this kind of, you know, faux horror type of thing. But when you look at Call of Cthulhu and you look at sanity and you look at some of the stuff in there, you see that stuff and it seems almost mundane. It seems right. almost like, but but you see kind of the breaking down of the mental mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff is yep. like the really insidious stuff that gets under your skin. It's like, oh, this is really like psychologically horrifying. And I exactly. love that. I yes. love that. You, you stole my word. I was totally going to say insidious. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's subtle and mundane is a great word too. And it, is i i really want it to be like well i don't need i I don't want the player to think about it until it until they have to you know and so when you look at the rules that i wrote so i kind of change them up a little bit i have transient and short-term madness i have Uh long-term and indefinite and so i didn't i didn't quite like i mean the the rules right now for madness and the dmg it's it's a footnote at best it's what a page Uh, it's there because it's been there but it's certainly not for playing i don't think i mean and, yeah. and and they go away i mean they go away easy and they go away fast yeah. they go away yeah. forever. um but so most of these cases if you have a long-term and indefinite they need to be triggered also so you might have some kind of minor so let's say somebody has like some sort of ocd type position and this is stuff that i've just i've, I've seen it actually uh-huh. seen people do these things and then just know about it from reading read like reading for fun or reading for work or whatever it's like you know so maybe you know the the when you're walking around every day and you have OCD or someone has OCD, maybe they're scratching, scratching their arm. And that's, that, that's it. You might not notice it. It's like a tick possibly. However, when they get in an incredibly stressful situation, maybe that's all they can do. Oh yeah. And again, and so there's different ways to do that. And I even have, so I have a page that's insight. What insights an insanity check or a sanity check. Uh-huh. Uh, and we actually have, and I don't even remember who I stole this from um, or where, but basically every day. So the first day, excuse me, it's a DC eight. The mm-hmm. next day it's a DC nine. Then it's a 10. So it builds up. Yeah. And again, so this is my hope. And again, I, and I'm, I'm, as long I hope I never offend anybody with this stuff. And I feel like I, I tried to be very conscientious of it because I, everybody has their own things, including myself. And my, mm-hmm. but my goal was, is I wanted other people to kind of think of it too. You know, yes, so on a, yeah. on a on a one week mission, you know, I'm off in the forest. I'm going to Rappanathic, whatever. Um, I can hold it together, and, and me, I mean, I can do this. I mean, personally, I can do this. I can hold it together for a pretty damn long time, mm-hmm. but sometimes, but I can't. And mm-hmm. when I can't, it sucks. And then the next day, I'm back to you know, or who you know, the next day, I'm kind of reset. I'm back to holding it together. Mm-hmm. And there's the mechanics are in there for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it's it's doesn't have to be awful. It, or it doesn't it it's not meant to be hurting you You're like it's not meant to be something that like hurts your character's hit points or you know something like that it is it's much more subtle so hopefully you guys get a chance to look through those tables the tables i love oh they're so good yeah the tables, I'm, honestly i'm super yeah. happy about the tables you know that oh, yes the persistent mm-hmm. effects and the acute effects was probably the thing i liked the most about those like a long term so if somebody hallucinates you know, that's the disorders. They have hallucinations that they have a hard time telling reality from fantasy. The persistent effect, this happens all the time. And this kind of sucks, but it's a long term indefinite. So that's fine. Is you get in a minus two penalty perception and insight. The acute mm-hmm. effect, if you have one, is that you can't tell the difference at all between what is and isn't real. 
Oh gosh! So you oh, have yeah. <laughs> so you have disadvantage on everything, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. how, and it, it is what it is, you know. Or you get um, you have so much anxiety, you get nauseous. That's a different one. It's like you know, you your turn, your stomach turns and rumbles as your active memories that have shattered your mind, and you remember that. And the acute effect, if you fail that save and get that acute effect, is you have the poison condition for one d four rounds. And what that really means is you're just sitting there throwing up on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so again, oh, hopefully, I, I I want it to be evocative, and I, but I also want it to be um I don't even know what the right words are right now, but you know I I certainly don't want to belittle the conditions that people have, but I also think that people should kind of understand it, you know, that they're real. Hopefully, hopefully, I hit that right balance. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's my hope anyway. So so I have a question. I'm planning on incorporating some of these rules into um I'm my players are going through a one through twenty. Uh, they did Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Now they're doing Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And so they're just, I'm terrified for them to get to those high levels. Uh, but one of the levels uh, of the dungeon is going to be kind of like a sanatorium sort of uh, asylum. And I'm going to include a bunch of the stuff that you've that you've worked on. And one of my fears going into it is um, I've tried to get better about not looking at a player and being like, hey, you feel this and this and this because of this and this reason. I'm um, kind of like, I don't want to take over their mind and their perception and like grab them and railroad their thoughts. Right. So how can you do this sort of mental illness subtly and in a way that isn't, um, that doesn't feel like the dungeon master is railroading their sanity, if that makes right. sense. It does. Um, so one thing I wanted to do, and I don't know if this is answering the question, but it reminded me of it is I wanted to do. And so, so, so my Kickstarter, I, I funded because Sandy Peterson basically told all his fans to fund me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So San- so I signed a contract to Sandy to write a book, and he posted a thing on his fifth edition book, which basically 4,000 Cthulhu fans that like fifth edition D&D, he told them about my book. So that's, <laughs> the, best, that's the best advertising ever. Well, I still got where I got because you guys have seen that post too I think on my Kickstarter about the the financials of it but uh-huh. anyway but anyway so one of the things I would have loved to have done and might do in the future is do a, is basically kind of like a little card deck or a, you know the the Cthulhu Madness cards are awesome and uh-huh. you could do something some of that and I don't I wouldn't want you to do it in a way that again you don't want to beat them over the head you want their buy-in they want to play it they want to do it I want it uh-huh. to be fun for them um, but maybe I would probably sit there and like kind of remind them and like you know here's your card you have this or here instead of saying you every time they want to do something like no, you need to roll a d4 because you're going to be counting all the tiles. Say you know you're having a hard time focusing because you're seeing something over there. Can you count them? You know, kind of go over the disorder that narrative effect first as much as you can. Um, and if they forget it, they forget it every once in a while. But if it's something very stressful or a situation in which you think it should happen, you might have to remind them a few times. And hopefully get them to where they embrace it from a role playing aspect. Which you know I'm I'm. What's the word? I'm a grognard because I'm in my 40s and I've been playing forever. But I still <laughs> actually like that part. And that's usually the people, you know, again, the old folks, we don't we just want to sit there and do tactical. You know, we're playing chain mail or something. Um, <laughs> but, but the role playing side can be fun and make sure they understand it's not it's not intended to be punitive at all. I mean, yes, yeah. it is because it, there's bonuses. Well, actually, there are some bonuses, too. You mm-hmm. can give somebody one of the things. So again, you know, anytime you have ever see a table that I wrote, if it doesn't say pick or choose, it should. <laughs> so there's always, I always want you to pick whatever oh, makes sense. Yeah, great advice. Always. Yeah. yeah. You ever see a table period 
in my opinion, unless you're intentionally randomizing, which I don't like to do that either. Even when I do random stuff, I don't randomize it. Uh-huh. Um, it's usually roll or choose what makes the best sense for you. And so like oh, one of them. so good. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Gosh, always. That's why everybody hates random encounters because they're, they're fantastic, <laughs> but they're stupid at the same time. <laughs> I, yeah. So I'll tangent a lot. I mean, I wrote, how many pages was that? I wrote almost 20 pages, I think, or 15 pages for Wolfgang for Tales of the Margrave, which is the other big oh, Kickstarter I did. Yeah. So I, I'm lead designer on that, and oh, I wow. wrote I wrote all the uh, random encounter tables. Oh, and they're for levels one through twelve. They're for different times of day and for different levels CRs. And but they're they're like two sentences or three or four sentences. They're not UC D six bugbears. They're oh yeah, UC that's so much better. better. Yeah, you hopefully you like those two. I will. Abs- no, they're I think awesome. everyone does, my friend. I think yeah, those are they're, so much better than their like, story hooks. Yeah, when it's like, hey, you get one d four vampires. It's like, wait, what? That doesn't fit here. <laughs> like, yeah, no, you, yeah, you get mugged by a bunch of children who are actually halflings. You know that. <laughs> that's that's the way it is. So, but but anyway, yeah. But to the 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 psychosis parts, like you know, maybe give, you know, maybe give one or two of them something that's actually good. And then a couple of them that you think are more into it or more like to remember something that's not as good. And then they'll kind of all remind each other. Um, you know, like if you're scared all the time and I did kind of lift this from somebody else. But so, you know, the the disorder and this is a transient one is that the hairs on the back of your arms prickle. You know, your heart races. It's a mini panic attack. You know, yeah. you break out to a sweat. You're feeling a dread suffuses you everywhere. However, you're on your toes. You're watching your shit. Oh, is yeah, tight. yeah, yeah. So you're getting a plus two bonus on your initiative because you're expecting the worst. <laughs> so that's I, it's, so good. There's, I love there's not, that push and pull. Yeah, yeah there's not many of those, <laughs> but there are a few. And there are even some that go both ways, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that can be good sometimes, can be bad other times. Like, you know, that crazy laughter that people get when they're scared. That's that's in there. It's one of my things I have in there. It's yes, get, yes. Um, which, yeah. So there's again. If you dig through that, you can have some stuff that's going to give you, again, there's not a lot of them, but there are a few mm-hmm. because every once in a while, just because, you know, it, it might be 90% bad, but that doesn't, but that means it's 10% good too. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, maybe that's, there's a little bit of real life in there too that, yeah, it sucks. And there's a lot of things that suck about it, but every once in a while, there's something I can do or, uh, you know, there's, there's something that I can get out of that and I can build from. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess my my next question is, uh, since we kind of talked about random tables and creatures, what are some of your favorite vanilla monster manual horrific creatures to include in your games? So vanilla, uh, you know, everybody loves, you got to have a gibbering mouth or everywhere. Right? <laughs> yes. And so nobody underrated. does it. And it's in the SRD. I didn't know that until like oh. two months ago. Or I don't even know it. Somebody asked me to write a DMs Guild adventure for him. And I've never written for DMs Guild because it's it, the paperwork's too hard. Um, <laughs> and so because I like art and stuff and I don't want to pay for the art uh, up front and then wait for a year to get my money back. But so the gibbering mouth is amazing and it should be used everywhere. Um, I like I like glass cannons a lot. So Banshees and Ghosts. Yes. So somebody that it's a CR two or three or four. Usually they're pretty low CR. However, they have this fun thing where, you know, if you have, if you roll bad, you have zero hit points. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Shit. It's like, so it doesn't care if you have 240 hit points or you have eight. <laughs> um, so you good. have zero if you roll bad. And 
you know, I wrote something for Cobalt Press that's on their website, which kind of got me tails, was basically a banshee with like four or five levels of bard. It's basically, I mean, in my head, that's what it was. You know, so Uh we had a banshee with with bard levels, which totally makes sense to me. I mean, that seems logical. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And so she was rough. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) That encounter, if you if anybody ever wants to see it, go to cobaltpress.com, type in my name, do the author search. You'll find I've only got like five things or six things on there, but the Rye Master, uh, Banshee is the name of that one. And it's a tiny little encounter. You come across a village, you come across a, um, and then in the middle of nowhere, they're having a great time. And then everything goes sideways. And <laughs> it's a fun one. But so that's, that's, that's what I love though. And, that you can do those sorts of things. So the thing that doesn't really, again, it's a glass cannon. Either it works great or it doesn't at all. And that's 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 kind of fun. Yeah, um, that risk. Exactly. And that's why I roll in front of my players. Oh yeah. Because it keeps it keeps everybody excited and kind of kind of fun. And you know, my other my other NPC on Cobalt is a Noel Barbarian werewolf. Gorok. <laughs> oh, he's awesome. He's tool. He's so fun. And if you, he can confuse people because he's got his, you know, werewolf immunities. He's got his raging immunities and all sorts of stuff. He's kind of confusing actually, but it's, it's a fun, it was a fun one to make. Oh man. Uh, I think, I think for me, uh, going off your kind of Banshee thing, a, a really fun one that it's kind of like that glass cannon type thing is a, just a bunch of sea hags. Um, and they could be horrifying, just, you know, like the seaweed hair, just these gross hags that live halfway in the ocean. But they have the thing called uh, the death glare. It's yes. very similar. Yeah. It's just like it. They do a uh, wisdom saving throw. I don't think the DC is that hard. But like right. if they roll bad, they just drop to zero. Yep. And, it, and it's like that sort of thing is so good. And it's and a lot of power gamers and munchkins will be like, that's so cheesy. But it's like, no, like that. It's kind of like like we've been talking about. It's kind of incorporating that horror element into it. And it's like, no, sometimes like you will pass out from even through the best warrior in the realm, you will pass out if you see something so terrifying. And I love that. I yep. love I that's, love that. That's one of the reasons why I like creatures that have petrification effects where yes. you can just get turned to stone if you roll badly. Yep. And it's you have two chances essentially. And most of the time, it's not that hard, but occasionally, someone gets turned to stone. And yeah. yes, so that's yeah. that's actually something I love to do. And you guys got to both hit on it separately. Is that I think again, when people say D and D is not hard enough, and they're talking about from a deadly like an encounter perspective, it's like you know that's because you do one on five. Obviously, it's not hard. One on five is not hard ever. I mean, yeah. But when you do ten on five, it gets real. <laughs> Trust me, um, <laughs> it does. So, like, you know, and it's a hat, and I don't even think I realized it until I saw it online, was, like, what, Conjure Fey or stuff like that. You can conjure, I think, eight sprites. They do, like, one hit point of damage. However, if they hit you with their arrow, I think it's the arrow, um, you have to make a save or fall asleep. Oh, no. <laughs> so, oh, no. I'm, not, I'm not giving you a disadvantage. I'm making you roll eight times. <laughs> and, I, and I will. And I am absolutely doing that. And that's my, again, that's not a house rule, but... I think we undervalue these little creatures that actually, yeah. again, you get outnumbered and that's the way D and D math is now. Exactly. And that's, and that's fine. And I, I don't, I, I like it. I, I, it pisses off my players every once in a while because it's like, <laughs> no, you can, no. I can actually, I could take you out. You know, I've got a 12th level barbarian, whatever, and I can do anything. It's like, okay, give me 30 cobalts. 
Hey, that, okay. The <laughs> and we'll sit on a we'll sit on a cliff and we'll just shoot arrows at you. Yeah. And no, it's last, fine. last night I was playing Dungeons and Dragons and I I had these like really beefed up Duragar with plate mail and this captain that had all these magic items. I'm like, this is gonna they might die. Like I'm going all in. And one of my my wizard, who's like tenth level, just cast animate objects in the library, yep. and so all these books just start fluttering out, biting, mm. yep. <laughs> and like I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm I'm just being outnumbered, uh, and it was it was really cool to realize that like the uh, action economy action economy is really just so important, and like the uh, the swarm nature of zombies, yep. or just like the yeah. As a dungeon master, I know it might take a little more time, but yeah, use the swarm, right. use the amount of things because your players will will do the same thing. Yep. So so here's a here's our DM hot tip for the day too. So if you have players that think that an AC of thirty is the best thing ever, <laughs> use use area of effects. Use mm. use something that's mm, a yeah. save. It, it's it's easy, Matt. It makes sense when we're not playing the game, but when you're all of a sudden playing the game. And you're getting frustrated behind the thing because, again, my, one of my players, Zach, does this. The thing is, is so Zach will play, you know, or there's a bunch of builds where you can get an AC of 26, 27, 28, I think. And those lyrics, those rascals. Well, yeah, you got what is it, Blade Singers, and you got Shield. I mean, there's all sorts yeah. of little ways to get there. And so, and I've had players do that, and that's they build their entire character on having this high AC. I'm like, that's fine. Here's a fireball, or here's a cloud kill, or here's hypnotic pattern, or shit. Here's a pit. You fell. Yeah. You know, don't don't yeah. get don't get too don't get too caught up in that one thing. And yeah. that that's where we get that that makes. And I I do it too, of course. But that that does help, and it helps if you if you ever design an encounter that's one monster, and you need to make sure like if the CR is fifteen and it's one monster, a level you know a group of five level eight nine people can probably take it out unless you play it really really smart or you have layer actions or you have environmental effects or something else which environmental effects are amazing too i put those in stuff too when i can so going back to david's question about the the monster manual he said the, the gibbering gibbering mouth that are yes. uh what, what are some other ones that you you love from the monster manual Oh, you're gonna make me pull it up now because my memory shot between being a dad and working and everything else i have no brain uh, <laughs> do you often find yourself using illithids? You know what? I love them. However, they're not SRD. <laughs> and so since I try to remember that, what if I'm going to actually write this and charge somebody for it? I got to be careful. Um, I do like them. They're based on an old, uh, I think it's Brian Lumley wrote it, the borrower, borrowers. Um, but I do love them. I love illithids and I love beholders. I really, yes, those are same. two of my favorite. Um, I don't use them hardly ever because... I again, they weren't SRD or when I play games, I'll play something from Cobalt or Frog God or somebody else. So when they're not SRD, it's hard for us to get them legally mm -hmm. or, you know, and, and again, you don't have to legally do anything. It's if your game at your table, you do whatever you want. Um, but I do find myself going there occasionally, but we, we play demons and devils occasionally, but not as much as, as I thought. I, you know, I like Abolesce. Those are fun. Um, <sighs> what else? So, question, question, real quick. Um, what uh, for the people that the listeners that don't know, what is SRD for? Just so they yeah confused for home games. Gotcha. So SRD is a system reference document. We're on number five point one, I think, right now. What that means is that's basically Wizards IP, intellectual property that they let all of us look at and play with and charge money for. 
So as a freelancer, um, I can actually use that and I can throw a, I can't throw a draw in, but I can throw a Gibbering Mouther into an adventure and sell it on drive-thru or on Kickstarter. Oh. And I do not, and I am not, um, committing a, uh, probably not a felony, but I'm not breaking the law. I'm not doing copyright <laughs> violations. Uh-huh. And the difference between drive-thru and DM's guild is DM's guild actually lets you use stuff from wizards products with that are not SRD. So if you're in DM's guild and you're a designer, you can use anything as long wow. as you, as long as you reference it, right. You're, you can basically use anything. Um, and that's great. But what they do in return is the percentage is a little different. So like they're, they, you pay, you do pay for it. You still pay for the IP. You just do it at a percentage. So drive through. And I don't know the number off the top of my head. I think it's like 30% for drive through, which covers their overhead and admin and all that stuff. And then I think, uh, DM's Guild and somebody's, I'm going to get it wrong and somebody's going to be mad at me, but I think DM's Guild's around 40. So it's about an extra 10% or so. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, and the reason why most of my products will probably never be on um, DM's Guild unless it's somebody pays me to do it for them, is um, you can't kickstart it. If you kickstart it, you can't do the DM's Guild. That's part of the, uh, part of one of the rules. And I want to give you a product like my like Landslide that literally has 80 or 90 pieces of art. Now, some of them are the ones that I made, of course, but... I have professional, I mean, I spent a lot of money on art and on maps and I don't want to sit there and have spend three or $4,000 on art, which is not a big art budget at all. Um, that's crazy. It's not, it, that's not, that's for a book of 200 page book. That's a tiny art budget. Um, mm. So, but I don't want to spend that $400 or $4,000. And then not only do I have to wait, you know, I have to sell $12,000 to get that. But I also have to wait because I only get my cells at 60, you know, basically it's a billing cycle. So I think it's 60 week or 60 day out. So 60 days after my first sell, I'll get a check. Mm-hmm. And it's so, and this is all business stuff. It all makes sense. I get it. But if I do a Kickstarter, Kickstarter takes her cut off the top. I get a check within two weeks of finishing my Kickstarter as long as I fund it. Yeah. And that puts you in a weird spot too, which we've totally gone all over the place here, but I, that's how I am. But that puts us in a weird spot because not everybody has business background. Um, and actually, I would say the vast majority of writers and artists and developers don't because that's that's a totally different skill set. And all of a sudden, what if you're, you know, like Matt Colfield said the funniest thing ever. He's like, oh, shit, I funded. <laughs> and, and not only did he fund it, he funded with like millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden we have Matt Colville, who I love and is fantastic and watch him and support him, everybody. But all of a sudden, Matt has $8 million in his checking account that yeah. he's got to figure out what to do with that and how to spend that the right way. You have a whole different set of problems. Um, and, and maybe they're good problems, maybe they're not. But, I mean, we see that all the time with big Kickstarters. You know, John Wick had a $1.6 million, I think, a couple years ago. And he kind of, the way his Kickstarter went, and it was challenging because it kept unlocking stuff. Mm. Chaosium had the same problem before they got bought out by the folks that own them now. Their Kickstarter would be great, but then all of a sudden shipping, which is a whole yeah. different thing. You know, shipping, yeah. I, I, I don't control the post office department. Um, and I'm going to let everybody, that? I don't. And I'm going <laughs> to let you know that no publisher does. And so I'm being a little sarcastic, but all of the, all of you guys out there that support us, thank you. Um, but we have nothing to do with the post office rate. And trust me, it drives us nuts more than it does you because we yeah. have to run a budget. And uh-huh. we want to get you our product. Nobody writes it to sit it, just have it sit in their basement. 
I I sent a book. I remember I sent the I had an extra copy of the Midgard World Book from Cobalt, and I mailed it to a guy in Mexico as a favor, thinking it'd be like twenty bucks. It's ninety seven dollars for me to send him a book, and then he had to pay fifteen more because the UPS there decided I didn't pay enough taxes on it. So it cost almost $120 for me to send a $60 book, which $60 was a deal. But, I mean, they did. That entire transaction would have cost him almost $200. And that sucks, but it kind of is what it is. And though that's why people do print on demand, because it cuts out our headaches. But but anyway, we kind of got off, didn't we? Um, (laughs) We're talking about monsters, I think. So, but yeah, that's the SRD is basically the books that are intellectual property of wizards that they allow other people to use with just a reference. And most third party people actually have common or open gaming license stuff too. So you can use certain things um, in their products as long as you tell your readers where you got it. Uh-huh. And so it's, I mean, it's just, you know, basically, it's just intellectual. It's just basically, you know, don't plagiarize um, yeah. and make sure you have permission to use what you're using. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Vox Arcana is a like dungeon master advice show. So I'd love to get your, cause I obviously you have so much experience, uh, both writing adventures, creating adventures, running adventures. Um, what are your like top tips for making a game more scary? So like, how do you, how do you push the normal 5e game or just any role playing game into the realm of more f- making your players feel fear? How do you go about that? Right. Um, well, I'm going to do the first thing first, which is make sure that's fine. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and we, and we, sh- I would think that we would always do that, but then I'm like, you know what? No, probably not. Cause I know people I've random people I've played with at, you know, at a con or even when I used to go play at the game store every once in a while, it's like, yeah, there's, there's people here that don't think that, um, there's lines, make sure you know them and make sure you do not cross them. Yeah. That's very important. You know, that I, actually, that's probably the single most important because there are certain things that we talked about and, and played in some games that I've done that were really close to my line um, that would have been over many others. And I know I made some of my players uncomfortable and they said it was fine at the time. And I know later on they probably thought, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have said or maybe we shouldn't have gone there. Um, but we did. And it was fine. And make sure everybody knows that we can stop at any time. So, again, we're not that's not really talking about getting it, Sarah, but making sure that's just OK, because not everybody wants to play horror. Yeah. Um, a lot as much as I enjoy it, and I think it's fun because it's challenging. And it's hard. Yeah. Um, that that's what I like about it. But not everybody wants it. Not everybody wants to have a game that's hard. They don't even want to have the chance to die in the game, and that's fine. And mm-hmm. that, that's cool if that's your game. Um, but make sure it's it, make sure there's a consequence. Make sure it's personal. You know, these things. Make sure they keep going on and on and on. Um, that. Even if it's not a horror game and just a general game. So let's say you piss off somebody in your level one adventure because you stole from somebody's, you know, family heirloom. Or maybe, you know, you seduce somebody's, you know, husband or wife or whatever. It's like, yeah, they have family or they have other friends or there's other things going on there. So keep it personal in all whatever way you can. And then that's also that's a fine line, too. It's like, so do you attack their family or do you bring their family in an uncomfortable situation? Um each interaction should again kind of chip away a little bit at what they're doing. And so that's how we kind of use those sanity rules mm-hmm. is and remind them. It's like, you know, and just, just kind of keep those things uh, not necessarily front and center, but don't let them forget it completely. Um, you know, there's little stuff that you can do, which I know my friend Lou is going to hate this, but <laughs> technology at the table. I've recently went to D and D beyond and I, and I do like it actually, but mm-hmm. I am 100% okay with a piece of paper a pencil and one set of dice. 
Mm-hmm. And keeping technology minimal at the table can definitely make a difference. You know, the old chill games or what is it? Dread with the Jenga gar- Jenga game. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Jenga basic. Oh, so, yes. You know, yes. Tur- turn the lights out. Make it candles. Have music in the background or have sound effects in the background. Actually, the Jenga thing was one of the coolest things I ever saw was somebody did it. Basically, anytime you did a crit fail um, or you know, failed a thing, you pulled out, uh, pulled out a Jenga, whatever. That's uh, so the little piece. And then when it fell everything went sideways really 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 bad mm-hmm. oh that's so good so so i've also want to ask about technology and specifically music um how do you utilize music to uh really get the tone of horror there because i i've utilized it before and it is like some of my players are like holy crap can we take a background or can we take <laughs> a can we take a bathroom break can we can we turn the lights on like cuz it's like really nailing it do you um have specific spotify playlists you use or how do you uh go about using technology specifically music to uh, enhance the horror feeling sure so two so two seconds harper just popped out of the shower and wants to say hello so hello harper hello hello harper (laughs) hello (laughs) Hello. harper do you like scary movies yes oh Oh yes, and Jack Adam's Black family. Oh, there we go. Yes, and then Twilight Zone is also one. Oh, so oh, good, no. so right. good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye, bye Harper. <laughs> All right, so yeah, she's she's recently discovered uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, which is so good. Oh, I haven't uh, watched that episode. Yeah. Episode one was awesome, and she yeah. she's totally got she's. Uh, not quite nine yet, but she totally got the little nuances. I'm like, I was getting ready to explain something. She's like, well, dad, this is what's going to happen, isn't it? I'm like, whoa. Oh and then she's catching stuff that I missed because, of course, I'm doing eight things at once and she's actually paying attention. Into the yes, the guy did disappear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so usually I've done a couple different things. Um, I tend to throw a Netflix show on in the background. I'm a huge nerd that I like. I love Supernatural. I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, uh, yep. I love that show. It's so cheesy. I love it. Um, but I'll throw a show on even I've even done the new Sabrina, um, which is actually really good. And again, I'll admit it. I don't care. I tried to get my youngest or not my youngest, my oldest daughter, like the old Sabrina's. And for anybody who's seen both knows how different that is. Um, you've got one that was written for eight year olds and one that was written for 28 year olds uh, <laughs> and super dark. The next the new one is. But I'll throw horror movies on, actually. In the background, occasionally I have done the. There's a bunch of cool ambient lists out there. If you do YouTube and just say like Lovecraft music or horror music, you're gonna have four hour loops that are actually really good. Yes, yes. There's a ton out there, and again, I I do actually always have. I do I do always have something going on in the background, almost always. Um, But I'm trying to think of what was there was a show. Was it The Apostle? Maybe I did. So just like really, oh, really bad, great. nasty movies occasionally, and I'll put those on in the background. Um, that movie is insane. Yeah. yeah. So so and it and it's kind of funny because you don't you're not watching the movie at all, but you just hear like the music in some cases or a scream or whatever, um, just something like that. Um, again, there are so many out there. Uh, the lighting too. Again, easy peasy. That's easy. Just don't make it fluorescent. That's kind of nice. Yes, easy yes. Way. Don't make it for that. That's a good uh, advice for any human ever. In general, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm fine. My my home office is actually my bedroom, and I have all light or all windows on. You know, so, two of my walls are all windows, and that helps a ton. Um, rolling in front of the screen is one that we already talked about. One another one, and again, I don't know if somebody 
I feel like somebody told me this, but who knows? And it might even be Matt Colville might have mentioned it one too, is when you describe it, describe an activity or describe an action, don't describe a mechanic. Um, so don't necessarily uh, say, so I, I, and again, I'm actually reading from my book. So, you know, I guess I'm giving it away, but, um, so these are little things I threw in there most of them, but like, you know, you're hit for 13 slashing. Okay. That sucks. That's fine. But it's not evocative, but in say, you know, again, you know, a shadowy figure drops it and he slashes it up at your chest while your ally is distracting you. And you have like this gory wound and oozy wound or just something like that. Make it interesting and say it that way don't say uh-huh. i failed my charisma save and now you're frightened they your heart pounds in your chest your water you know your uh blood turns to ice water your legs get wobbly as you you know stumble away from the object you know yes. from the yes do it, it, i'm feeling do, this yes yeah. and, <laughs> and don't don't go crazy don't worry about it if it doesn't make a lot of sense don't over explain under explain all that stuff but just do what you can and you'll get better at it everybody does mm-hmm. yeah. um and just just do that. Just do things like that. Again, it's it's if you all want to be scared and you all want to have tension, I think you can pretty easily. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love all those things. Um, like specifically, you can kind of read the room to to determine eventually what what amount of detail to give. You know, yep. you don't want to read them a novel, but you also don't want to just be like you take sixteen uh, piercing damage. Um, right. And so there's like find that middle grounds uh, with your with your group. Another uh, thing that I would give another uh, piece of advice is I use ambient music all the time. Um, and I joke with my players, but if I, but if I'm doing a really like scary one, uh, some of the, the music in the playlist has random sound cues from horror movies where it's like, and it's like, it, it like suddenly goes up really <laughs> scary. And there's like, there's obviously a jump scare in the scene that we're not watching, but I will react to that accordingly uh with like improvisation and be like okay you see a spider skitter across the ceiling or you see like a random hand skitter across the floor um just like adding something into there almost like as the dungeon master reacting to the soundtrack um has added a lot to my horror games that has been really fun yeah so one of the things i did and i even wrote it in that little thing i did for cobalt online is every once in a while and i saw this on some forum or some facebook thing the other day just roll behind the behind the uh yes. for no reason at all just oh, yes. anyway or say okay so what's your passive perception all right thanks and then just ignore <laughs> it and then don't ever come back to it again it's fine so make them think oh. you're doing things that you aren't necessarily that's that's always fun and i have to go in like three minutes but i just realized we've been talking i can talk oh, forever as you sorry. guys can tell sorry about uh, that. that's okay i'm enjoying i'm enjoying this tremendously i just i got a text <laughs> from my i was like um are you gonna pick me up Hey, no, oh, no. Will and David, do you guys have a final question to end this out? Um, I feel like my questions are going to take a long time. Um, Nothing can that always, can be answered in like a minute or two. We can always talk again. I love talking. Yes. No, yeah. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, one thing I did, I you guys had, somebody said it. It's like, you know, there are a lot of really good NPCs that we made. I didn't do a lot of monsters. There are some. Don did a couple monsters. Probably didn't uh-huh. work. I did actually. But, but I did NPCs. And I know it's the same thing. But um, one of the... We did. I did an inner patron level on my Kickstarter. I think I had eight of them, maybe, and I didn't get them all out. So I ended up asking a few people if they wanted to be in it. And basically, I just talked to somebody and got some rough feedback from them and created NPCs for them that are either patients or doctors or whatever. They're they're part of Lamp's Light, and those are my favorite ones. I mean, we have a warlock that lost her patron, and it's oh, that's good. and it it tore it out of her soul. 
and she <gasps> is absolutely as messed up because of it as you can imagine. You know, we have a, we have a dentist who's actually a dentist in real life. So that's terrifying. <laughs> anyway, so and he has hallucinations that are basically a tooth that's telling him to extract teeth from people. Oh my god. Uh, we have my friend Milo who's one of my players characters. Um Agatha who is a uh, we have a a, a basically what I think of like a third year resident. Um, so we have like a who's a who's a, a doctor, an alienist who thinks <laughs> lobotomies are the best thing ever. Oh, no. Um, we have we have the head. You know, we have the chief of staff, Dr. Renwick. We have another we have basically a house character, too. <laughs> oh, house. yes. Uh, yes. And then there is one I, I did. I, I, I will admit I did kind of make one kind of Lovecraftian monster, the Nimbus who basically lives in the ethereal plane and attaches to the base of your neck and then while well, ethereal and then basically sucks all the, all the happiness out of you oh, um, wow. and makes you go, you know, basically major depressive. And then when you're done, makes you go a little bit crazy so that you can die so that it can be freely released and then go do somebody else. So Matt, what if I have one of those on me right now? How can I get it off? <laughs> well, so you, you, you need to go ethereal um, or okay. have some friends that do. You okay. have to be careful, though, because when it goes out, sometimes it sends out a psychic scream, which makes oh, all of the no. other patients riot, which, <laughs> oh, was, which so was my most favorite. That was my that's first. Such, oh, that's so good. Uh, my first monster for this was actually a riot of lunatics. And I, <laughs> I'll be honest, I did go back and forth on the name. I'm like, oh, lunatics sounds awful, but it's kind of right. Yeah, it's uh, but so a riot of lunatics is basically it's it's basically a swarm of people. Uh, oh, and, I mean, and at the time they didn't have these things like there's actually a couple third-party books out there that kind of explore that um but it's a super great it's an amazing piece of art from a guy journeyman he did it for me um but yeah so there's there's all sorts of good stuff in there oh man well, well matt thank you so much for joining us um today this has been wonderful um if you have any other content relating in the future i'm sure we'll have you on again yeah, definitely. So I have Tales of the Margrave, which kickstarted before this. It's coming out next month. It's finished. It's just getting, it's basically on a boat, I think. Uh, <laughs> I wrote an entire adventure path for Peterson Games called Ghoul Island, which is very mythosy, but heroically. Um, that's one through 15. That's going to be a serialized four part adventure path, kind of like Paizo does. That's okay. going to start this summer. I have two more contracts with him for two more adventure paths after wow. that. So nice. I, do, I, do, I do big projects, so you don't see me on little ones too often just because it's easier for me to manage. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, so I've even got some, what's else? Brilliant East is coming out at some point. That's going to be probably next year. That's I, I wrote the Plateau of Ling section on... Um, it sounds like a movie already, though. It's it's fun. It's a it's a really good uh, kind of Asian inspired that hopefully is actually not just like you know crappy kung fu movies. Um, <laughs> so it's a little bit more authentic and a little bit more genuine. So, but anyway, yeah, Sweet. I will uh, I will I will look forward to talking to you guys again. This was absolutely. Hey, this was this was fantastic. Thank you, thank you so much for being on the program, Matt. Yeah, thank yeah, you, thank you, Matt. All right, and I can be found at Matthew D Corley at Perfect. Twitter. I'm I'm very complicated. I just use my name. <laughs> so I will I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Right. You have a great day. If you would like to check out uh Lampslight Sanatorium, you can find that on the internet. Um it is an amazing supplement having read through it. Um I'm planning on implementing a bunch of stuff in there into my games to infuse some creepy horror fear into them. Um
If you're a fan of Vox Arcana, you can follow us on any social media sites. Um, and if you would like to get access to our entire back catalog of bonus episodes, uh, you can do so on Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get all those bonus episodes. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.